Welcome to the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, the series where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies that are shaping the future of retail. Today, we are joined by a fellow Forbes contributor, Marshall Kay, and J.P. Cameron. They are the managing directors of RFID Sherpas, a retail consultancy that helps businesses around the world put RFID to good use and to enhance the success of their Omnichannel programs. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm excited we're doing this. That's too. You guys, I have to start this line of questioning off because your name is maybe one of my favorites of all time. Tell us a little bit about why you call yourselves the RFID Sherpas. We we like the name too. Um, it uh, It's a name that actually came to me in the early 2000s. I was working for a larger global uh, consultancy and I took a look at the type of work and the type of expertise and support that clients would need. And I'd love the name Sherpas because it speaks to number one, being expert guides and knowing the path. Number two, there's an element of lightening the load and helping our clients get to where they need to get to more quickly and with less strain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's where the name came from. We, we actually play an interesting role in the industry because many people don't realize it. We don't sell RFID hardware or software or tags. We're independent and vendor agnostic. We're like Switzerland. <laughs> right. You're, you're, just, you're just there to get them up the mountain, the RFID mountain, so to speak. So, yeah, so it has nothing to do with the fact that you live in Canada and it's really cold up there, you know, and the Everest delusions and all that. It has nothing to do with that in any way, shape, or form. If, if I were climbing a mountain or JP, we would need a Sherpa to help us uh, tell us to uh, get to the top. No Sherpa would need to one to tell me up the mountain. <laughs> What's that, JP? I said, there's not a Sherpa around that would want to haul me up the mountain, that's for sure. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Mine would probably tell me, don't even go up. Just, yeah. just stay back at base stay camp, here. right? Exactly. Well, <laughs> well, let's let's start. JP, maybe maybe start with you, because I, I know I've talked to you a little bit about this in the past, and I thought your your overview was really, was really interesting uh, as we were having our discussion. Put RFID in context for everyone. Let's start at a really 30,000 you know, foot level here. What has been the history of RFID over the last, let's say, 20 years? Let's go back to like 2000 and then just talk through the progression of what we've seen since then, the big moments. For sure. So I guess it all started, you know, right around 2000, um, where MIT had this thing called the Auto ID Labs. Found, you know, a whole bunch of different people came together and started talking about how can we use RFID in retail? Um, and I think at the beginning, it was more like a solution uh, looking for a problem to solve. Um, and really we found, um, at first it really was kind of engaged as a case and pallet type tracking solution. Uh, when Walmart first got involved, um, in 2003, we saw a lot of that, you know, how do we track product from the factory down to the store and not necessarily into the store. So it's really tracking from a supply chain perspective. Um, how do you move, how do you move these things throughout your supply chain? And it didn't really work that well at the beginning. We, I think RFID at that point was really more in the experimental phase of technology, trying to get the standards right, getting all the vendors on board. And probably it wasn't until the mid 2000s, uh, sorry, mid, sorry, 2005-ish, 2000, right, right in that in the area where we went from that first set of technology companies kind of coming out with new solutions, 
um, and to having one solidified solution that was there were no competing standards at that point from an EPC perspective. It was uh, EPC Gen 2 standard. So the second generation of the standard that really kind of brought everything together and brought down the price point, made the technology work a lot better. And really, uh, we started to see a new home for RFID, which was item level RFID. So instead of being on the case and pallet level, we started to say, you know, it's great to move things from the factory to the store, but how can you use this to change the way that you look at your inventory and change the way that you look at your data inside the store? And okay. so it moved from an item level, from a, from a case pallet to item level. And that really started to change the ball game. Um, from there, we saw, you know, we saw a little bit of uptick and we saw a lot of research being done in that mid to 2010 period, which was, you know, you start to say, okay, how can you use that at an item level? And we saw a bunch of big retailers really start to play with it. So, you know, you saw the, the Macy's of the world start to play with RFID. You saw the Walmarts of the world start to play with RFID at the item level. Um, coming into the early 2010s, we see people like um, Inditex start to play with it. And we start to see um, other organizations, Marks and Spencer and others start to look at it again at an item level and understanding how they can leverage RFID. And I think that was the big kind of change that happened at a big inflection point where it went to, you know, we've got this problem at item level. We got inventory issues in our stores. Um, NRF says that the average retailer is operating between 60 and 70% inventory accuracy um, with a 3% degradation in inventory quality throughout the year. And so at, you know, in 2010, I would say Omnichannel wasn't, you know, I don't even think Omnichannel was a, was a buzzword yet. Um, but really, you know, that whole concept of digital and physical coming together really wasn't there yet. But the importance of inventory accuracy was still there. Um, how do you solve your out of stocks? How do you make sure you've got the items that are inside your store on the floor? Um, how, do you, how do you better handle all your planning and allocation? And taking the guesswork out of RFID really started to take place when you move from that case pallet level to item level. And I think that's, that's kind of where we saw the big shift. And we've seen, you know, in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of retailers kind of come to the fold to using RFID to shore up their inventory. But in the last five years, there's been a real snowball effect of some of like the who's who, of whether it be retail or brands have started to use it. So, you know, whether you're talking about Macy's, obviously having RFID on all their product um, in, from an apparel and soft goods perspective in their stores, You've got Inditex and H&M and, and Uniqlo from a specialty. So the three largest specialty retailers are all doing RFID on all their product. Um, you've got people like Target, uh, you know, close to home for you guys, um, right. RFID and doing it really well. Um, you've, got, uh, you've got organizations like Nike, um, Adidas and Under Armour using RFID on all their product. And so you really started to see it go beyond um, it's kind of like that niche play to really something that's been used right across the board. What is the business case as you see it right now, as we move to, you know, more widespread adoption? Because yeah, if Walmart has it in apparel, as do all those other companies, it seems like it's kind of a no brainer in that space. But as we look at it more ubiquitously across retail, where's the value add going to come? Well, it, it obviously depends by sector, but I can't think of a single sector where it doesn't make sense to know exactly what you have and in exactly what quantities, both on the sales floor and in the stock room. And that applies for a variety of different uh, product categories and types of retailers across retail. So inventory accuracy and visibility 
And really it's about precision as well. And that degree of precision becomes really important as you're now communicating and interacting with your customers, um, not just in the store, not just in front of a computer, not just with their phone, it's, it's ubiquitous and continuous. And so really it's about uh, more efficient management of inventory and the opportunity to operate in a more lean way uh, there are some retailers who have, have shrunk their inventory by over 10%, freeing up precious working capital. Uh, but it's also about being able to be more responsive and competing on speed. And as you know, the economics of retail for many retailers are fundamentally broken. Uh, when you look at uh, the cost of uh, logistics, fulfillment, returns, etc. cetera, uh, a good way of thinking of it is that um, you know how buildings need to be built to code, uh, to proper structural standards. Uh, many retail businesses that might still arguably have been built to code uh, in the year 2010 are no longer built to code because of the tremendous pressure placed on a retail business by the convergence of online and offline. And these tremors are only increasing in intensity and they're not going away. And you have many businesses that are structurally unsound. So um, it's about uh, top line growth. It's about full price sell through. And for products that aren't uh, seasonal or fashion merchandise for more basic replenishable merchandise, it's about identifying when you've got too little or in some cases too much inventory, but for the too little, it's about getting that replenishment from the distribution center to the store so that you're maximizing your unit volumes of your sales. Uh, there's also an important business case that relates to preventing theft and reducing theft. Right. Some of it involves making some investments with uh, better technology at your exit doors, but a lot of the benefit can be achieved without necessarily uh, needing to make extra investment. And it has to do with making better use of the data that you're capturing for the purposes of inventory management. And when you consider how challenged many retailers are, um, it was always known that uh, the cost of theft uh, was a drag on the business. Uh, and that's before it became even harder for retailers to make a buck and turn a profit. The only thing I'd throw, throw out there, Chris, is addressing one of your questions around outside of just apparel and footwear. Right. Um, you know, you've got, you know, got, you, you got it really used across the board and with different use cases and different value drivers in each one. So let's say grocery and QSR, expiry management is the big thing that's being looked at there. So how can you, you know, when you look at RFID, it's really about the ability to rapidly count and capture the unique information about each one of those tagged items. And so, you know, in grocery and QSR, it's expiry management and first in, first out type, making sure that you are managing your inventory effectively because barcoding is just too slow and takes too much time and introduces manual errors, whereas RFID is really seamless that way. Um, within healthcare, um, you know, you've got dose management and you've got even hand hygiene compliance. Within pharma, you've got serialization, you know, being used for anti-counterfeiting and diversion purposes and even pedigree purposes. Um, you know, again, within, within do-it-yourself and, um, and within consumer electronics, you've got inventory accuracy really being a, a driver there. Um, but, you know, you don't have back-to-front replenishment, which is a big use case in apparel, really being a big issue in, in those markets. So each one has its own specific 
um, use cases that drive the value. And they're kind of, you know, they're, they're all around the ability to transact on the freshness of data and being able to see what's happening in, within an organization. Uh, one thing Marshall kind of talked about um, but didn't get into was you know, the, the, the value of the data itself in terms of analytics, in terms of being able to leverage that from a, from a big data perspective. Um, you know, we used to use a term that said bricks to clicks, which is you, know, you have this vision and this visibility of your online shoppers but you don't have that same you know, route to purchase or path to purchase. And you don't have you know, what's happening in that retail journey in the store as you, do, um, as you do in the online world where RFID can be used to give you some of that visibility into what's happening in your stores, both from a consumer perspective, but also from your own internal resources perspective. So having visibility into operationally what's happening in your stores, having greater visibility into the, the operational soundness of your organization. So those are all different ways it can be used irrespective of whether it's apparel or footwear. Yeah, it's really, fa- that's really, that last point is really fast. I want to come back to it because I know Anna has a question, but just to hit on it quickly. I mean, I think that, that was one thing I've always loved about it is I, even as a store operator, like just even being able to know how to put the store back together at the end of the night, when you think about all the different customers that come in and put things and leave them on shelves or say at the end of the check lane process, I don't want this anymore. Like that is a, a tool that RFID as a tool for even that type of thing can save a ton of money. But are there people that are still looking at RFID and thinking it's too expensive or, or all the other reasons that they could come up with for not having kind of jumped in uh, feet first with this? You know, it, it's interesting. I sometimes say that uh, there's been a quiet revolution that has happened within certain segments of retail, especially over the last five years. And Mm. when JP laid out all the different tier one retailers whose uh, CEOs and senior leadership recognized the importance of accuracy and precision almost 10 years ago and started working towards that in a very uh, methodical way. Um, And you have statements like the one by the CEO of Nike in 2019 on an earnings call where he said that RFID was quickly becoming the most important, uh, the most precise and powerful tool in Nike's arsenal in terms of mm-hmm. aligning uh, a customer's demand with supply. Um, all of this really has happened in the blind spot of uh, what I'll say the mainstream um, media in retail, generally speaking. Um, so. If you look at many publications, especially ones that cover apparel and soft goods where so much of this progress has happened, there's been remarkably little said. Or if you look at conferences like Shop Talk or NRF and you were to scan the agenda, you're 10 times more likely to find something about AI than you will about RFID. And that's not to say that AI uh, can't deliver a lot of value, although sometimes I think right now it's a little bit um, overstated and not uh, fully appreciated, but right. uh, but really there's been a blind spot. And I don't want to say too much because I want to save some of these comments for the RFIQ discussion, but to your question of how come you're not seeing as, as much, I think that you have certain executives who haven't read or seen enough about this or heard enough and may have felt surely this can wait a bit longer. Um, Mm. In reality, it's a problem that needed to have been fixed five years ago, and the cost of inaction is only getting greater by the year. The one thing that we've seen as well is, 
sometimes it's thrown over the fence to the wrong person to look at. Yep. So, mm. you know, who, who does, who does this, who does inventory accuracy affect the most? It affects mm. store operations. It affects planning and allocation. It affects buying. It affects, you know, the, 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 the business side, but a lot of times it's thrown either to loss prevention or it to look at and the value might not all be there from a, you know, you know, getting, getting a full understanding of, of how it can drive the business and change the business isn't sometimes always there um, if you don't get the business stakeholders involved. And so I think that that's part of it as well. Sometimes it's thrown over the fence, either into loss prevention or into IT, and it's not really adopted or, or driven by the business, which really has kind of slowed down, I think, a lot of these, a lot of these programs. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to do, that's why I wanted to have you guys on the program, because I think, you know, it's what we're, what we're talking about here is really a foundational omni-channel, you know, capability in a lot of ways, or at least one that you need to be experiment, experimenting with to understand its full capabilities. Like the use cases are not just, it'll lessen your shrink, you know, it could be anything from it'll do that. It'll improve your in-store operations. Like we talked about, it'll make your flexible fulfillment options easier when you start talking about buy online, pick up at store, ship from store, all that stuff is there. I think it makes sense to talk for a moment just about uh, how this positively impacts the day-to-day life of an employee, because not only is accuracy and precision inherently respectful to your customers, but it also Mm -hmm. is inherently respectful to uh, your employees as people. And you're not directing them to work on rote tasks that aren't necessarily the most targeted to, to what actually needs to be done in the store. And uh, employees who work in, in stores that use RFID and these inventory management tools never want to go back to working without. If I could throw one thing in, to me, you know, inventory accuracy has never been more important in retail than it is today. And, you know, and you kind of said something earlier, we talked about it being foundational. You know, as, as we see the blurring of the lines between the physical retail and digital retail, the need for inventory accuracy is paramount. And so, and it's not just about inventory accuracy of, you know, exactly what I have in the store, but where is it in the store? Is it in the front of house? Is it on the ba- in the back of house? Can I find it? And do I have the tools for my employees to actually go out and find something much more effectively? And so that's really where you start to see the big difference between the haves and the have nots is not only do I know exactly what I have in my store, I know the exact quantity that I have in the store. I know where it is in my store. Is it on the sales floors in the back of house? And if I can't find it, when I go to look for it, I could give my tool, my, my employees a tool to go and get it. And from an Omni perspective, which you were just talking about, it's, it really changes things. You know, you, you know, you always talk about, you know, retailers are doing um, Omnichannel without RFID. You can do it and they can do a good job of it, yeah. but they have to have buffer stock. So they say, unless I have at least three of these in the store, don't make this available online or else, you know, I might be sending my people on a wild goose chase, but the impacts of the available inventory for those retailers is, is, is huge. You know, what you're talking about suppressing 30 or 40% of your inventory or maybe more as these retailers are moving to, you know, more breadth and less depth. Um, and especially as you start to sell through items, you start to get down into those ones and twos and suddenly you're suppressing all of that inventory. So you could be suppressing massive amounts of inventory. So being able to know I have it in my store, being able to ensure that you're, you're sending orders to the right store, not just for buy online, pick up in store, but buy online, fulfill from store and being able to minimize your break ships. So your split ships and your break ships are, have a huge impact on your financial, on your financials 
from an Omni perspective. And so being able to minimize split ships really is, is that piece and then helping the retailer always find the product when they need it. And that's really what inventory accuracy is all about. RFID is just the technology or the tool. It's really about visibility. It's really about transparency and it's really about the ability to find. And if you can bring all those things together, RFID is just the tool that we use. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, let's get back to, cause I want to get back to, I think everyone, I think everyone kind of, you know, says, yeah, that I think that's listening at this point says that that makes sense a hundred percent, but yet just getting back to the question, I think at some point though, there's still these like things that have held it back and there's these myths and I, and I want to dispel that. Like I, like I do, I'm just curious, like fundamentally, what is the cost of a, of a tag at this point in time, generally speaking. But the reason I ask that is I know you guys have put together something to that end and it's something you call RFIQ, which is a, it's just a quiz to test the general retailer, retail executive's knowledge of how well he or she understands RFID and everything you've just been describing. Ann and I took the quiz ourselves we and we did. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say I scored better than Ann, but that's only because I actually had all the answers to the test and gave the test to Ann, <laughs> but, but it was a really helpful tool and, and we're going to put it in the show notes for everyone too. But, you know, talk to us about why did you guys do that? Uh, you know, and, and what was the point there? And, and, and what are some of those big kind of, you know, myths or misconceptions that you wanted to dispel, you know, with this, this concept? It's a great question. And I encourage people to think of RFIQ really as a framework or a rubric, um, much the way that a concept like emotional intelligence is a okay. framework or a concept like NPS, the Net Promoter Score. Uh, made famous by a couple of uh, senior partners at Bain, for example. And RFIQ has a role to play in that regard. Um, it, it can serve a variety of purposes. For a retail enterprise, it can be a tool by which an executive, maybe the CEO, uh, considers, well, what is our company's collective RFIQ? Or the head of store operations can be thinking, well, what is uh, my organization's RFIQ in terms of an understanding, not of whether they've heard of RFID, but right. an understanding of all the different ways it can be used, which uh, other retailers and brands are using it, what's in it for the customer, what's in it for the employee, how can this data improve our business? And so it's not a static thing. It's, it's less about seeing uh, how many points you score correctly on any given quiz, although the quiz is one manifestation of it and it will evolve over time. It's about introducing essentially this concept that this is important. Understanding RFID is important. And so it really measures the aptitude of an organization or an individual. And the organization doesn't need to be a retailer or a brand. It can be, for example, a media outlet. Um, and you can really uh, assess whether it's the outlet itself or others looking at a media outlet. Um, if they haven't been talking about something that's fundamentally important for many years, it provides an opportunity to have objective, dispassionate discussion about, uh, you know, why isn't this being discussed? So I'd like to give you an example. And I know that- Yeah, I was, I was gonna, please do. I was gonna ask you a question. I was gonna ask yeah. that question. Like, right. give us a flavor of the test. Like what's, okay. on, what's, on, the, what's on the RFIQ test? There are questions about who's doing it, 
how much might it cost? What are some of the primary benefits? Stuff like that. JP, what's your favorite? I'm curious, what's your favorite question on there? I think it has to do with the business case. So identifying what are the key drivers and what is the most important um, items that are important for, for apparel and footwear, that, that particular question. But there's, because it's surprising the number of people who get it wrong. Um, there's a bunch of questions about who's doing what, which is interesting. The one that people actually have gotten wrong most often is the tag price, which actually I think is is a really simple question. Um, me. I got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I guess actually guess low though, which I was surprised. But oh, yeah, I, I like you. We'll we'll, we'll have right. to get the tag vendors hiring you. Uh, <laughs> the you know at the end of the day, it is a little bit of a trick question because the price of the tag is largely dependent on the volume of tags that you're buying. Right. Sure. So, you know, someone who's buying a billion tags is going to get a very different price than someone who's buying a hundred thousand. Um, so that is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a curveball that if, if so, but you can't really get into that in the dynamics of the test, but you know, so there, there are, you know, that question is one of my favorites because a lot of people get it wrong. Uh, and the business case one, for some reason, people get it wrong all the time. The other ones that I thought were really, the other things I thought were really interesting and why I enjoyed the, the test too, is it. It also talked about grocery and household commodities. Like that's what I always hear is like, hey, you know, you can't use this in food. You can't use it in frozen. It can't, you know, RFID, you know, can't read through liquids and certain metals and substrates like that. What's your guys' response, you know, in terms of that general feedback that some people might still have? I mean, physics are physics, right? So you're right. It can't read through metal. Um, you're right. If you immerse it inside, you put the tag inside of a bowl of water, you know, you're not going to read it. Um, but there are solutions in the marketplace today that are uniquely designed to get the best performance out of certain scenarios. So you can actually read something on a can of Coke. Um, you know, you can actually, and so there, there are solutions that are made to work on metal. There are solutions that are made to work, um, you know, on a perfume bottle that, that has got lots of liquid in it. Um, but they're specifically engineered and designed to work that way to get the best performance possible in that environment. At the end of the day, we can't change the laws of physics, but we can, you know, but what they're doing is, you know, improving the tag performance and the reader performance, the antenna designs to get the most out of that product. Got it. Got it. Even if it means going into a cooler, which I think is really, yep. which is really intriguing. Yeah. That was one that really kind of threw me for a loop. All right. Well, that was a pretty in-depth in discussion on RFID. And, and, and uh, again, if you're interested, take the RFIQ quiz. It's going to be in the show notes. Uh, Ann and I really enjoyed it. And again, I scored better than Ann, but that's only because I had the answers to the test. But are you guys ready to play How Millennial Are You? All right. Let's have some fun. All right. I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> you get less ready by the day. That's right. right. Let's do the first question, you guys. Uh, when you are paying for groceries, do you pull out a credit card or are you using a form of mobile payment? JP, we'll start with you. I'd say about half the time I use my credit card and half the time I use Apple Pay. Okay. All right. Okay. What about you? What about you, Marshall? Come back to that one. 100% of the time I use a credit card and I tap. You tap. Okay. okay. So you're kind of like that hybrid approach. JP, why are you 50-50? Because the, I, I shop at two grocery stores and one of them doesn't okay. take Apple Pay. Okay. So well, your preference would be. I, it's, it's easier. My phone is always out. Yeah. So it's easier just to tap the phone. You're going to have to have a conversation with that grocer, not only about RFID tagging, but accepting mobile payment, I think, JP. Absolutely. Uh, 
Okay. Next question. How many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks from an app? Marshall, we'll start with you. Zero. None. Yeah. I have ordered food, but, uh, I picked up the phone to order for a pizza. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. That might be a first. That might be a first time. That's a good question too. Like, are you, if you're ordering a pizza, how are you doing it? That could be a good, like 2021 question going forward, Marshall. That's a good one. I don't know how many people are ordering pizza by mobile phone at this point in time. I used my phone to order pizza Hut a week and a week and a bit ago. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, I, we, we, just, we just moved. Um, and so we've had, uh, our kitchen has been upside down for a little bit. So maybe my answer is not going to be indicative, but we've used, you know, one of two apps that we use for most of our mobile phone ordering, I think four times, maybe five times in the last week. Wow. What is it? What do you guys use? So it depends. We'll either use skip the dishes or we'll use Uber Eats. One of the two. Oh, skip the dishes. That's a new one. That's new. I'm not sure if that's a Canadian one. I'm not sure actually. Yeah. It, it sounds like a lovely Canadian one. I wish that we had that here. <laughs> it does a little bit. I have, I have a follow-up on that real quick. So like when you two are sitting down, let's say you're on a engagement with a client and you're like, Hey, we need some pizza, which, you know, I think is probably a, a typical thing. Who's, who's making that, who's placing that order? Which one of you guys by is so, it Marshall by phone or JP by, uh, by, uh, by uh, mobile? I think I am, but I think what ends up happening is on our way you know, this is, you know, pre-COVID on our way back to the hotel from the client site that we are working on, Marshall is stopping in at the first three burger places that we see for a, for a hot, for a hamburger at one place and for a, and for a, a smoothie or a milkshake at another. Got it. Got it. It's like, it what if I land to like, my seat? doesn't sound like the Marshall I know. <laughs> really? <laughs> I recommend sushi most of the time. He usually complains. <laughs> Yeah, sushi is a staple here at my house. So when I'm out on the road, I try not to have it five times a week. Well, we'll close it up with this last one, you guys. If you could only use one social platform, which one would it be and why? JP, we'll start with you. Probably Instagram. Um, okay. Most of my family's on Instagram as well. So it would have been Facebook before, but um, a lot of the younger generation of my family has kind of left Facebook. Um, and it seems to be the older generation that are left on Facebook, at least from our family. So I think Instagram would probably be the way that, that or the one that I would, I would keep. What about you, Marshall? Me, LinkedIn. I know it's not necessarily the sexiest choice, but I'm a creature of habit and it's working for me. And a fair bit of the content that gets uh, thrown my way is of interest to me. We hear that one all the time. Yep, that one's a pretty popular. Those are probably the two most popular when you say in Instagram and LinkedIn, yeah. I would say at this point, as we've been doing this. We didn't hear Instagram a lot in the beginning, like three years ago, but now I'd say it's it's pretty common. All right, well, that was a blast, you guys. Learned a lot, ton of fun. It's always We always enjoy talking about RFID. If, you, if anyone listening or maybe watching, uh, watching the video or seeing you guys online on LinkedIn wants to get in touch with you, connect with you guys, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I would encourage people to go to our website, which is rfidsherpas.com, or find JP or myself on LinkedIn, and we'll get back to you real quick. Nice. We figured you'd like that one, right, Marshall? Given that that's, your, that's your favorite social app. All right. Well, awesome. Well, again, that was Marshall K and JP Camel of the RFID Sherpas. Drop them a line. Be sure to take the RFIQ quiz. Again, it's in the show notes. Hopefully, you'll learn from 
uh, learn a lot from it, just like Anna and I did. And of course, as always, be careful out there.